Well, it's good to see you again. If you remember last time we talked, we were in the book of Genesis chapter 16. Now we're jumping into chapter 17 to catch you up. We've been talking about the life of Abraham and what made Abraham special. This, this should be familiar to you by now. What made Abraham special was that he had a special relationship with God. And that special relationship was apart from his actions. God was for him, God blessed him, and it wasn't dependent on Abraham's behavior. Major, major point. Abraham had an unconditional promise from God, a promise to bless him that was unconditional. Okay, so we're clear on that. Very clear, needs to be clear before we jump into 17. Okay, so now, with that being said, let me begin to read 17. Beginning in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. Covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Stop right there for a second. So what I just read might have caught you off guard because we have been so clear in both the Old Testament and New Testament, we've been so clear that Abraham had a special relationship with God that was not dependent on him. God made a promise, an unconditional promise, and you can't change a covenant promise later. But here... God seems to be saying something different on the surface. He seems to be saying, Abraham, this covenant you need to keep. You need to keep the covenant. Suddenly, it starts to sound conditional. And so that's an important question. Is it conditional? What's going on here? All right? You can't change a covenant later. I mean, that's Galatians 3. Once a covenant is ratified, and the covenant was already ratified, and there was no conditions on Abraham at that point, you can't later change it and say, oh, I made this promise, but now I want to add these other things. So how can God say that you need to keep the covenant if you want to see the promises? Uh, we will, we will, we will answer that question. But first, let's ask the question, well, what does God mean when he says you need to keep the covenant? What specifically is he looking for from Abraham? And that's, we'll just keep reading to find out. Well, when you get to verse 9, uh, well, where am I? When you get to verse 10, that is, it says this. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Okay, so here it is. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or 
bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that's the covenant that Abraham must keep. Uh, Him and his descendants, him and his people must be circumcised. And that, to our modern ears, probably just sounds weird. Seems strange. What is the point of this? And I will tell you in the beginning that a lot of these rituals, like circumcision in the Old Testament, they point to something. Like it says in the New Testament, these things, they were a shadow or a foreshadow of the things to come. And the substance is Christ. And we will see that again. These Old Testament rituals, like circumcision, pointed at something. And I'll just tell you in advance, uh, literal circumcision doesn't count for anything. Okay, So if you're wondering, do I have to go to the doctor or something like that, just pause. That's not where this is headed. Just figured I'd clear that up in the beginning. But it does raise some important questions, things we need to clarify, things that we need to be clear about. How is this an unconditional promise? What's going on here? What does circumcision mean? Why is God telling them they have to do it? It's a sign, it says here. What is it a sign of? Why is this important? What does it mean? Is our promise still unconditional? And also talk about some of the dangers of getting this wrong because historically this is an issue that people have gotten really wrong the heart behind this command people have gotten wrong so we're going to talk about all of that and more Uh, first I'm going to pray and I trust God's going to help me Father God, that's what I'm asking for, your help to speak your truth clearly from you by your Spirit's power. Let it be evident that I am speaking your truth by your Spirit's power. Let it fall on our hearts as it should, Lord. Let it be known today that you are God. And let it also be known the truth of your goodness and the truth of your gospel. Jesus, let us perceive you. Uh, Guide my words to that end. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so circumcision, what? Uh, You know, one of the things about the Bible, uh, as we're just reading through it, is it forces us to talk about things we otherwise wouldn't talk about, okay? We've been going chapter at a time here in Genesis, and left to myself, I probably wouldn't dedicate a Sunday to talking about circumcision. I probably would talk about something else, but here we are in chapter 17, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, So what's going on here? Why is this even something that God is saying that they need to do? Okay, um... Well, it actually says it here in the passage. It says this is a sign. Uh, it says this is, this is a sign of the covenant. It's pointing to something. So what is circumcision pointing to? Uh, well, uh, in order to explain that, i got to be just a little descriptive. We're not going to get too graphic, but a little descriptive about what's going on here. In the process of circumcision... Um, There would be a cut made, okay, just as we talked in the Bible previously, if you recall, uh, they would talk about cutting a covenant. You'd cut a covenant. Uh, When a covenant was made, there there was bloodshed, okay? So um, in the process of circumcision, a cut would be made, and the idea is that you would be removing um, the outer layer of the most sensitive and personal part of the male body, okay, So you're removing the covering, 
You're removing the covering and exposing the most sensitive and personal part of the body. And the idea is this is pointing to something. This is a sign. Um, what is it pointing to? Well, what does God want from us? He wants us to know him, to walk with him in, in spirit and in truth, in honesty, to have a real relationship with him where the most personal and sensitive parts of our hearts are exposed before him. There's not a covering. There's not a shield between us and God, but it's exposed. That's what this is pointing to. That's what really matters. Circumcision of the flesh doesn't really matter, but what the Bible speaks of is circumcision of the heart very much matters. The question is not what's, what's on your body. The question is, are you truly in covenant with God? Is, is the personal and the sensitive part of your heart exposed to him? Are you walking with him in that regard? So uh, what you have actually in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's times where you have a prophet, uh, Jeremiah in the Old and, and Stephan in the New, where they're speaking to the people and they're saying, you guys are circumcised, but you're not really circumcised. You're circumcised in the flesh, but your hearts are uncircumcised. So that's what we're actually speaking about. We're speaking about having a heart that is exposed to God and having the covering removed. And in the Bible, the idea is that the covering is dirty. The covering is filthy is the idea. And again, of the flesh, that's not really what this is about. That isn't making any statement about body parts. It's making a statement about something spiritual, all right? In our natural state, there's a covering that, that separates our, our heart from God. And what is this covering that needs to be removed? The covering is pride. That's the thing that hides us from God. Uh, we're sinners, you know? I hope you know that. But pride wants to hide that. Uh, pride will say things like, well, I'm not perfect, but I, I'm, deep down I'm a, I'm a good person. That's a covering, okay? That's, that's blocking God from you. The reality is we're sinners and we need God's forgiveness. Um, a, a covering, and this is where it gets, it's collective, well, we'll talk about this. A covering is often something that, that comes through with religion. Religion will lead to a covering. Let me explain. Um, instead of just walking with God in spirit and truth and, and having him as your God, a lot of times people do religion and then they'll say, well, I go to church and I pray and I do those things. So me and God are good. Meanwhile, God is not penetrating the deep parts of your heart. If that's what your religion is, it's a covering and it's no good. Uh, here's something that, that perhaps I'll talk about a little more. Um, sometimes the covering that needs to be removed comes in, in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's, um, it can be something like politics. Okay, People can get involved in politics and politics can give us a sense of righteousness. We're one of the good guys. We're on the good side. Those other people... Uh, have it wrong, they're the bad ones, we're the good guys, and so it can lead us to walk in a sense of pride, and that can be a covering that can keep us from God. Because to walk with God is to walk as humble sinners in need of a Savior. 
and to have him and his saving power working in us. So that's the whole aspect of, of being circumcised. The whole idea is that the outer covering has been removed and now in our deep, personal, and sensitive places of our heart, there's not a covering, okay? God is exposed to us and, and, and we walk with him. We are exposed to God. We're walking with him in spirit and truth. That's what we're aiming for. Now, let me explain to you that in the, in the course of the history of God's people, they've gotten this very wrong because they've looked at circumcision as an exterior thing and they looked at it as a source of pride, okay? To be part of this circumcision group was a, a source of collective pride. And, and it, it, was, it was supposed to be, but not in the way that they took it. All right? Let, let me show you a passage that helps explain this. Now we're going to jump to the, to the New Testament, um, to the book of Philippians. Uh, chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So here he's contrasting two things, okay? He's contrasting those who have it right and those who have it wrong. He starts out by saying rejoice. Rejoice in God. He's talking about in your inner being, in your deep, personal, sensitive parts of your heart, before God, the, the part that only God can see, the secret places of your heart. Rejoice. Look to him and rejoice. And he says, we are the circumcision, meaning believers. We're the true circumcision. doesn't matter what's going on outside in your flesh. We are the people who are exposed to God. He says, rejoice. Um, and actually says, interestingly, in verse 3, we are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. This is a big thing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, pride is not bad if it's the right kind of pride. Uh, um, the one who boasts should boast in this, that they know me, the one true God. Like, that is boasting. Boasting in the Lord is not about exalting yourself. It's about exalting Christ. It's saying... I'm a sinner, but Jesus loves me. I know him, he knows me. That's the boast that we have. It's not a boast that says, I have anything good to offer. It's a boast that says, I'm a sinner, but I have Jesus because of him, because of his goodness. That's the boast we have. That's the rejoicing we have. And he says, in contrast, he says, watch out for the evildoers. Okay? And he says, they put confidence in the flesh. Meaning their confidence is not in, in what God has done through Christ in forgiving us. Their confidence is in what they have to offer. Some sort of goodness on their part. He says, watch out for these people. And we could talk about the specific people at the time and what they were advocating, but it's more about an attitude. He says, watch out. It's like, watch out for this attitude because this attitude can creep into us as well. Okay? Jesus said it this way, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. As in, beware of that kind of pride because it can creep in, beloved, we need to be very, very, very careful on this. It can creep in. Getting this wrong, understanding the command of circumcision wrong, looking at it through an external way that leads to pride. Let's try to get to the heart of this even more. What can we say about this? Um, hmm. 
So at the time, let me explain this. At the time, uh, you had people, you had a group that was advocating. They were saying Christians needed to be circumcised according to the customs of Moses. Now, circumcision was a cultural identity, all right? So to be circumcised, again, was a source of cultural pride. To be part of the circumcision was to be part of this special group. So in saying you need to be circumcised, what they were saying is you also need to become one of us, all right? You need to become part of us with our ways of looking at all things, with our customs, with our specific traditions. To become a, a Christian, you also had to become one of us culturally. That is what the people who were advocating for circumcision at the time was. And, well, the Apostle Paul went to war on this idea saying no. Those who come to Christ do not need to get circumcised. And a lot of people will say this point in advocating that Christians did not need to get circumcised, this is why Christianity blew up into a world religion rather than a specific Jewish sect. Because the idea was now Christ can come into any culture, okay? To any people group, to any culture. And, and not say you need to conform and become the culture that we are, instead, you can come and you can receive the Savior and let the Savior work through your culture, okay? Let it transform your culture in its own way rather than saying, we're going to come in and we're going to demand these exterior things, these rules that are going to come upon you, all right? So then and now, there are people who, in preaching Christ, they're not really preaching Christ. Instead, they're preaching a culture they want you to conform to, all right, here in Canada, there's a really classic uh, example that we could point to that we all understand to be wrong. Uh, the residential school thing that happened not that long ago. The church had its part in that. And so in their endeavor to preach Christ, they also tried to get people to conform to a certain culture, a Western white culture, thinking that's Christianity. Uh, when in reality... Christianity is about Jesus receiving him as Savior in every tribe and every tongue and worshiping him in every tribe and every tongue. So getting this circumcision concept right is so essential. We need to understand that God is talking about a circumcision of the heart and not an exterior thing, okay? Just watch with me as I look at this next passage because we're going to go into this a little deeper and perhaps get a little more personal how it relates to us. So... Um, Galatians chapter 2, the whole book of Galatians is, is addressing this idea about what circumcision really is. All right. Um, verse 3 goes like this. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You hear what he's saying? There were people that were trying to get us, uh, you know, Titus, for example, to be circumcised. And he said, we didn't give in to that, even for a little bit. And the reason we didn't give in is because we would have lost the gospel. That's how serious this is. The gospel would have been lost. And we can see that when we look, like I say, at history. 
If you ask a part of the indigenous people that experienced uh, the, the oppression that came with the whole residential schools, if you would have asked them, what does it mean to be a Christian? They probably would say, well, it means you speak English, okay? It means that you, you, you have these traditions like the white people have because they're coming in and trying to bring Christianity and that's how they're trying to do it, all right? You see the gospel is lost. The message of a savior is lost because all they're hearing, all they're seeing is you need to culturally become like us. Okay, so that, that, that was then. Let, let's talk about more reason how this, this may apply to me and you. Well, I didn't grow up in Canada, but I, I, I suspect you can relate to some of this to a degree. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. And my understanding of Christianity, all right, my understanding of Christianity was that it was a political movement, okay? Because um, in the United States, you have a, a, you'll have a political leader, okay? And the political leader, uh, you know, he'll, he'll say something, and, and everything has become very tribal. And, you know, they'll say something, and, you know, the crowd will cheer, and the idea is we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. We're the moral people, they're the immoral people. We're the wise ones, they're the fools. And these battle lines will be drawn, and this will be the message. This is the Christian way, okay? So what people hear is to be a Christian means you're part of this club, all right? Um, I know a woman. Uh, I know a woman. We used to be in a Bible study together. She was a believer. And she said that when she first heard the gospel, she had people who were praying for her, people who were witnessing to her. Um, she said, well, I can't become a, a Christian. Even though I feel drawn to Jesus, I can't be a Christian because I'm a liberal. Okay? And somehow God helped her understand that having Jesus is not about jumping into a political identity. It's about receiving Jesus as Savior. And when you receive Jesus, there may be a transformation. You may change certain political ideas. You may not. But the point is, it's not about that. It's not about conforming to exterior things. It's not about joining a club in this way. And if you make it about those things, you lose the very gospel message. That's why this is very, very important. Now, here I am in Canada, and it's so refreshing to not have Christianity so closely connected to political movements. But I want to be honest with you. I'm a little concerned about some of the things I've seen happen recently. Granted, uh, it is certainly extreme times in this COVID world, and some of the things that have come out of the government, some people have really disagreed with. Other people haven't, okay? And that's fine. People come to different conclusions, totally fine. Here's what my concern is. I've started to hear people talk about their position as if it is the Christian way. And that sounds very familiar to me. It's like, I've heard this before. I've seen where this road leads, the Christian way. Where it leads is losing the gospel, and suddenly to be a Christian once again means that you're joining a certain political persuasion. Beloved, stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. To be a Christian means Jesus is your Savior. 
It means you recognize yourself as a sinner needing salvation, and you recognize him to be a loving Savior. Westview, on a whole, I have to also say I think we're kicking butt, okay? What do I mean by that? I feel like there's a tremendous amount of unity in this church, even as we disagree on things. Even as we disagree on things, some things we disagree on are are relatively important, but compared to the gospel unity, they're unimportant, okay? We disagree in love, and we're going to keep disagreeing in love, all right? We have some hard decisions to make coming up. We might not all agree, but the gospel needs to be preserved, and the way the gospel is preserved is we make it clear the Christian way is Jesus, our Savior, our King. Every tribe, every tongue, every political persuasion, we gather and we worship him together as King. Look at this passage, and don't forget it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that matters. You see, it's from the inside out. It's from the inside out. Some people, their faith is going to lead them to make one decision. And some people, their faith is going to lead them to make a different decision. And beloved, sometimes that's biblical. Read Romans 14. Okay? Some people... To glorify God, they eat certain foods, and some people, to glorify God, they abstain from those same foods. And we are not to judge another man's servant. We're not supposed to say, you're doing it wrong, because it's not about the external things. It's about what's in the heart, love for the Savior, and we need to allow that to be expressed in different ways and not demand that there's only one way to express that love for the Savior. And in this way, this gospel message truly can be for every tribe and every tongue. But once we start putting restrictions, saying it can only be expressed this way, we lose the gospel. That's how big of an importance this is. So hopefully you're understanding how this concept of circumcision, getting it right and getting it wrong, relates to us as much as it related to them. And now in closing... I want to bring it back to a question I asked earlier. God said, God said that you must keep the covenant. You must be circumcised. But I thought that this whole thing was unconditional. Okay, I'm glad you're seeing that tension. Well, look what else we read in the New Testament. Very important point. Colossians chapter 2, begin verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you also, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You see this? God requires that we must be circumcised, and he is the one doing the circumcising. He is the one doing it. It isn't done by human hands. This is a concept you see. That which God requires, God provides. 
That which God requires from his people, God provides. And that's what we see once again in Jesus, the fullness, the fullness of God in Jesus. Everything is ours. It's a free gift, absolutely free. The love that we have in Christ is an unconditional love offered for everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every political persuasion, every Everyone, as they consider what the right choices are with this pandemic and vaccines and mandates, whether you're on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, guess what? Jesus is for you. Every tribe, every tongue. And that's the gospel. That's why we rejoice. That's why we boast. That's the pride we have, the free gift of a Savior for all who believe. Father God, help us remember this. Help us not forget it. Help us walk in humility with one another, understanding what the gospel is and what it means for all of us. Um, help us be patient with one another. Um, help us be humble in listening to one another when we disagree so we can truly embody you and keep the gospel preserved among us as we preach Christ and Christ crucified. And I ask this in your name. Amen.